Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22 as we continue our look at this important chapter. If you will do so, I will admit um, I was up all night with a sick child, and so I'm running on very little sleep, uh, and I feel like the uh, wonderful character of A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh, a bear of very little brain. Um, And so just know that I'm firing a little slower this morning. Um, You're not imagining that. And also know that uh, if I make an immediate exit stage right, I'm not being slain by the Spirit but by the virus, and we've got a contingency in place. Um, So just be in mind of that. I didn't want any of you to panic, Um, but the Lord will provide. And the Lord has provided, hasn't He? He's given us His Word. He's given us this wonderful account of the life of Abraham. And as we're rounding the end of his part in this story, we do continue on in his legacy. Uh, We continue on through his children and his children's children. And we start to unfold that beautiful promise that God has made to him. And this starts, um, particularly in this chapter, with that early section, the section we covered last week, verses 1 through 14, which, of course, mark the pinnacle, the highlight of Abraham's life That is the testing of his willingness to sacrifice his son, his one and only son. And we find out that Abraham is willing. He does take the three-day journey to Mount Moriah. He does offer his son up on the altar, building it as going as so far as stretching his hand over his son, knife in hand, ready to sacrifice before the angel of the Lord halts his actions. And in the midst of um, the scene that Abraham has before him, he finds a ram, a perfect lamb, a sacrificial ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And so that animal is sacrificed unto God instead of his son. As we reflected upon this, and I think it's helpful to bring this back up, just how closely tied that scene, the first half of this chapter, is to Jesus. We must make the comparison of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son to God's willingness to sacrifice his son, his one and only son. Abraham was called to be a sacrifice and offering an act of worship unto the Lord. So was Christ. And the difference there being is the Lord stayed Abraham's hand, but he did not in the case of his own son. But Jesus died as a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb. In fact, in John's gospel, he calls himself, I am the lamb of God. And we, the people of God, reap the blessing, the benefit, the encouragement of that sacrifice, don't we? We are called children of God. We have a name, an identity, a home, a people, an eternal state because of who Christ is and what He did. And as we continue to think about this text, the parallels do continue. There's blessing for Abraham. His willingness, even though he wasn't called to go through with it, his willingness to take this task did reap reward for him. It did reap blessing. It did continue God's promise and God's plan, not only for him, but for us as well. And because of that, I invite you to please look with me. Um, I want to start in verse 15 uh, to pick up where we left off last week and then read through the end of the text. Would you please follow along um, as I read the word of the Lord? And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, 
By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also born children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kimuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildesh, Jidlev, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remuah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tasha, and Macca. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, you provide for us that which we need. And in your providence, you have given us this passage for this day. You have decided that we need this reminder of blessing. We need this reminder that you look ahead, that you plan for the future, that you prepare not only for today, but for tomorrow and ultimately eternity itself. Father, would you bless us, your people, as we consider the implications of your word? Would we take it in through the power of the Holy Spirit? Would it transform our lives and our hearts that we might be more obedient, more faithful, more loving, more kind, and that we might be evermore your people, the people of God? I pray that you would give us strength, Lord, selfishly. I pray for health and for the ability to persevere in the next few moments. I pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Abraham's willingness to take this step really does mark the pinnacle of his life. We see a a quick shift here. Um, In the next chapter, we'll deal with the death of his wife, and um, not too many chapters after that, his own death as he's grown... um, He's up in years at this point. But we really do say, and if you think about Abraham, and we talk about him today, we, um, we think about him as a man of faith. We think about him as a man who remained faithful, who remained true, and that primarily comes from this passage. In his ultimate test, and the, the ultimate um, trial before him, he does stand true. And the Lord blesses him in that. And I, I love what one commentator says um, because we do recognize this is a retelling or a um, really a revision of the blessing the Lord has already stated. And we're going to ask some questions in a moment. Why? Why was that necessary? Uh, but I love, one commentator says this, these verses are vital to the narrative. Without them, Abraham's ordeal would not have done any good. It would have been purposeless suffering with nothing to show for his willingness to sacrifice his son. Um, He says that for, think about the the consequences if the Lord had simply said, no, don't sacrifice him, and then Abraham went back down the mountain and went home. There would be a void in the text, right? Was that the right thing to do? Was it the wrong thing? Is he being rewarded? Is he being punished? How will this moment shape the course of his life? And so this double blessing or this uh, blessing retold actually tells us the consequences of what has taken place. And in some ways, it really gives us the purpose of the whole account. And so I agree with the commentators in that this, while it seems redundant, is absolutely necessary 
for Abraham and for us. And I, and I say that for a simple reason. What this passage really provides is assurance. Assurance for Abraham that God will do precisely what He says He's going to do. And if we're honest, how many of us crave assurance from God? How many of us long to know that God will take care of us, will provide, will save us, will, will heal us, will protect us, will watch over us? I would dare say at, at one point or another, all of us wish that of the Lord. And so we will read about this act of assurance by God, but in doing so, we're going to learn a little bit about assurance for ourselves. How can we today have assurance? How can we today be confident in the Lord? The answer to that is going to be in obedience to Him, but we'll get there in just a moment. This morning I really want us to see two sections of our passage, which in a lot of ways is really just part two of the, the sermon we had last week. Um, the first part we'll see this morning is that faithful believers enjoy the assurance of God's blessing. When we act in faith, we are granted assurance. So those two are tied. Our faithfulness and God's assurance. And we're going to talk about how and why that is so. And then in that concluding section, the, the um, genealogy of Nahor, um, we also see that God provides for His kingdom. God plans ahead. God thinks not only of the now, but He thinks of the future as well. And so there is assurance through faith, and there is a plan for the future. In that, we see that the Lord has a wider scope in mind. And so with those as our aims this morning, would you please follow along with me? Let's begin with the uh, blessing or the assurance that comes from faithfulness. And we want to ask some questions of this text. Um, we're we're going to ask the who, what, when, why questions. To, to really appreciate what's going on, we need to set the stage for a moment. And so let's answer this. When is it taking place? When is this account happening? Well, like I told you, this is kind of part two of a sermon, so it's immediately following what we read last week. So this is immediately following verses 1 through 14. There's no gap in time. This is Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. He almost sacrificed Isaac. God said, stop. Instead, he sacrifices a ram. And then he gets the words of the Lord. An angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And it's interesting to note here, where is the declaration coming from? It's coming from heaven. An angel of the Lord speaks from heaven to Abraham. The, the heavens open up. Abraham gets um, a direct contact, not to God directly, but through an intermediary. And this shows us the importance of it. It, it was so significant that, that God ripped the curtain open from heaven to earth, that this message go forth. It was so important for Abraham that, that he gets a direct message from the Lord. And then, kind of related to that, we need to ask the who. Who is speaking here? And the answer is the Lord. The Lord is speaking. Now, you might be saying, well, well Pastor, here's some of that fuzziness coming on because it says an angel of the Lord. You're right. It is an angel of the Lord. But who is the angel of the Lord speaking on behalf of? God. The angel of the Lord is speaking on behalf of God. And that's not uncommon. Angels often speak the Lord's message. In fact, in Abraham's life, this has already happened um, several times where he gets a messenger from the Lord. And the way we can kind of reconcile this 
is think to medieval times. And, and imagine you have a king or a ruler, and they want to send a, a decree or a request or something to a, a fellow nation. And so they, they get their messenger, and they take their decree, and they write it down, and they, they fold it up nice and neat, and they get out their little wax kit, and they get out their ring, their signet ring, and they place that signet ring in that wax and stamp that decree. And that messenger, that lowly messenger, while they may not have much status, while they may not have much significance from a worldly stance, when they give that note to that fellow king, it is as if it's coming directly from that Lord. They are an emissary. They are the voice, if you will. And so this angel is acting as the voice of God. And so we don't need to read anything into that. We don't need to worry, like, why didn't God speak directly? Because God chose not to. You know, is that a lesser statement? No, it is not. It is from the Lord. We know that when we look at the words that are stated. How does it, how does it start here? Well, it says very plainly, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Not declares the angel, but declares the Lord. And also there's an interesting line in there, I have sworn by myself. And so not only is it the Lord, but the Lord is swearing it's the Lord. He is, he is making an oath. This is me. And I say so on me. Now, isn't that an odd thing to do? Can you, have you ever had a conversation with someone and, and you really wanted to, to emphasize that it's true? Now, we shouldn't flippantly take oaths. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. But have you ever gone, I, I promise you that is true. I swear to you on Aaron. How weird is that? That would be really weird, right? What authority do I have to, to, to tell you this is true? However... And it's, again, it's, it's, it's why we, we shouldn't throw around phrases like, I swear to God, um, I, I don't like that language, and it often is used vulgarly. Um, but when we say that, and we say that sincerely, what are we saying? The Lord testifies to this. The Lord will see it true. The Lord will see it right. And that's why we shouldn't say that flippantly, because we're not God, and we can't make sure that what we say is what He wants. But He can and so the Lord is the only one that can say, I swear by me. And you know, not only is it true because the Lord says it, it's doubly true because the Lord says it and he says he will make sure it is. And so this is significant stuff. This is, is really meaningful. Now why? Here's another of our questions. Why is Abraham receiving this declaration? And the Lord says very plainly, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. We're very, he's very clear here. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Because of that, the Lord gives this pronunciation a blessing. Because of the actions of Abraham, the Lord was willing to make this declaration. And then that leads us to our kind of final question as we're setting the stage, what? What is the Lord saying? And we see it here in verses 16 and 17, and then on to 18. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as of the sand that's on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
because you have obeyed my voice. Now, the Lord's promised multiple times that Abraham would be a blessing, that he would have offspring, that his offspring would be a blessing unto others. But here we get a greater vision of that. It's a clearer understanding. It's not only are your descendants going to be an offspring, but they're going to be an offspring as the stars of heaven and the, sea, the sand that's on the seashore. Not only will his offspring have land, but his offspring shall have the land of his enemies. That's what that phrase means. You shall possess the gates of your enemies. If you own the gate, you own what goes in and what comes out. And, and you war tacticians know that's a great way to win a battle. Um, you stop what goes in and what goes out, you're in charge. And then, not only that, but in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so this is, in some ways, a retelling of this blessing, but it is an expanding, it's a, a magnification of this blessing that will happen. And why? Why is it going to happen? Because Abraham obeyed the Lord. All because you have obeyed my voice. Now, you might find yourself asking, does this force us to say that Abraham's obedience led to God's blessing? Or to put it in terms we're familiar with, did Abraham's good works lead to the blessing of the Lord? Did his works generate his faith? Absolutely not. I kind of set us up there. It's been clear all throughout the life of Abraham that it is his faith that led him to this point. Abraham did not perform to earn. He performed because of who God is and because of what God has done. And we know this. Again, we look to uh, elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, Paul says, those of you in, 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 uh, that was in the Galatians class, you've heard this. Galatians 3, uh, verses 8 and 9. Scripture foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's not his works. It's not his actions. It's not his obedience to the Lord. We also know that because you've been with us on this journey. He doesn't always do those things. Sometimes he blows it significantly but rather it's his faith in his God that makes this true. And then let's take that one step further. Where did the faith come from in the first place? Where was Abraham when the Lord found him? Look back Genesis chapter 12. He was a wanderer, a foreigner in a strange land. He didn't call out to God. God called out to him. God said, you're going with me. I'm going to take you to a place. I'm going to make you into a people. I'm not even going to tell you where it is right now. You're going and what is that, how do we act when that happens? We respond to God in faith. The Lord provided Abraham the faith needed to have faith in the Lord, which led to this blessing. And I want to make sure we hear that clearly, because it would be very easy to, to, to misconstrue things in this text. Now, what is the outcome of this? Well, this is great for Abraham, but how do, how do we get this applicable to our lives? You know, or, or do we pray, Lord, um, calls me a great test, uh, make me willing to sacrifice my child? Um, no. For us, as we look at this passage and we think about this, 
we think about the assurance that was provided to Abraham. Abraham would live out his final days, and they're quickly coming, with full assurance of God's blessing upon his life. He would do so in such a way that he desired to do good works. He would trust God more and more each day. As I mentioned earlier, and if we all search our hearts, we all know it to be true, many of us dream of having a degree of assurance of faith at some time or another. That we would have confidence that the Lord has not forgotten us nor will let us go. And here it is. I'm going to give you the big secret today. You may ask, you may wonder, how can I have assurance of salvation in my life? We find it in our text. Faithfully serve the Lord. Faithfully serve the Lord. Do what He says. Follow His commands. Live out His word. And as you do so, He will grow your assurance. If you want assurance, be faithful. If you want to know the Lord is with you, walk with the Lord. And you will know He is with you. Now that, that, that may sound trite or, or, or um, that may sound light and you kind of, maybe you were waiting for something a little bigger or deeper, but I can't offer you anything better than that. Do you want to know the Lord is with you? Then listen to Him. Because here it is. Here, here's, the, here's why this is so significant. If you are a child of God, you're going to want to do it. I tell you to walk with the Lord and you're like, I don't want to walk with the Lord. Well, when you talk about salvation, but there's certainly not going to be assurance. But if I tell you to walk with the Lord and you're like, okay, pastor, let's walk with the Lord. And then you stumble, you fall, you sin, you falter. Moments that can, can shake our assurance. But then what happens in the mind of a believer? We become remorseful. We repent. We go, Lord, I messed up there. I didn't do what you commanded. I didn't do what you asked me to do. I didn't follow your statutes. I fell short. Again, there's assurance right there. Because here it is, an unbeliever doesn't care about breaking God's commands. An unbeliever doesn't care about not following the Lord. When we walk with the Lord, even imperfectly, we do so knowing He cares for us. Because if He didn't, we wouldn't. And if He didn't, we wouldn't care. You know, unbelievers don't take a three-day hike fully intending to offer their son up to the Lord as a divine sacrifice even though that son is necessary to fulfill the promises of God. Look to Abraham. If you want assurance of faith in your life, look at Abraham. And look at Abraham in his totality. Not just in this moment. Read his life. Because twice now he's offered his wife uh, as his sister to get out of a jam. Again and again he has fallen short. But he's called a man of faith. He's given this assurance. Why? Because he trusted his God. And so the, the, really the, the key thing I could impress upon you this morning is walk with the Lord, and by doing so, He will in time grow and strengthen your faith, which in time will grow and strengthen your assurance. And the beauty of that and, and what happens here in this final section, we zoom out even further. You know, this kind of carries Abraham to the, to the end of his life, as like I said, and if we're, he's dying in a couple of chapters, spoiler alert, but... Uh, Let's go even further out. Because what's the promise? You will be a nation. You will have a kingdom. Through them, they will be blessed. You will have numerous descendants. What does that require? Children. <laughs> and God has provided for him 
two. Well, at this point, we're supposed to say one. Now we're supposed to say Isaac. But you don't get a nation through one. One's got to become many. And so what we see in the second section of, of, our, of this greater section is that the Lord is already planning ahead for the future. Look with me in verses 20 to 24. And it, you may admit, and I do as well, this is kind of an odd conclusion to the great test of the faith of Abraham, right? We've got this powerful chapter. We've got those first 19 verses of his great test of faith and his great actions before the Lord and the Lord's blessing. And then we get a tag at the end. Oh, by the way, your brother's been productive in having children. <laughs> it kind of feels out of place, doesn't it? But it actually serves a very important point here. And it does. Uh, we, could, we could spend some time and we could really dig into these names. And a few of them we can place either as uh, the forefathers of places in the Bible um, or a couple of them will come up again uh, in their ancestry. But look at verse 23. The beauty is hidden in plain sight. And in my, my text, it's put in parentheses. It's almost like a minor thought or a commentary on what's going on. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Really, the only woman mentioned here in this line of descendants. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Now, why is that important? Well, again... Spoiler alert, Rebecca will be the wife of Isaac. And what happens when you need descendants? You need a wife. The Lord, in His wisdom, in His divine plan, is already paving the way for the next generation. Oh, that is so powerful. Um, Isaac will fulfill the promises that God has laid out before Abraham. Isaac will provide unto the Lord a nation of people blessed by the Lord. And here's the beauty of it. Abraham doesn't even get it yet. But we do as the reader. We as the reader are given an insight into this that the, the, the people wouldn't have had, right? Because we can go, aha, that's what the Lord is doing. I see it. I see what you're doing there, God. You mentioned Rebecca, and they don't know it yet, but that's going to be the wife of Isaac, who are in turn are going to have children, and who in turn are going to have children, and who in turn are going to turn into the people of Israel. The Lord is actually increasing Abraham's assurance without even telling him he's doing it. Because he just said, I will provide for you a nation. And by the way, your brothers had some kids, one of whom you might want to know. The Lord is concerned with generations, not just the life of Abraham, and this will be very significant as you continue in the story of Abraham. Sarah dies, really ending a, a, a legacy, a, a, a season, a moment in the life of Abraham. Sarah dies in the next chapter. The Lord is beginning to put that generational plan in action, though. As, as one dies, more come. And over and over again, we're going to start to see this, this explosive growth, this expansion of the kingdom. Now again, I, I turn our attention to, that's great, but what does that mean for us? Well, it means this, two things. One, always remember, we are children of Abraham. Those who trust in God by faith are, in fact, children of Abraham. And so as we read these promises that God makes to Abraham, promises to make him a nation, a people, a blessing unto the world, we are the fulfillment of that. 
The Lord has not stopped fulfilling that promise. And so one key line through the line of Abraham, one key thought that we should take away is the Lord is still doing what he said he was going to do. He has not failed, stopped, or forgotten his promise. And then secondly, as we look at Abraham and we look at this, this broader scope, this broader mindset, as we, go in, as we continue in Genesis, we're going to start opening the narrative up. That should drive us to look generationally. That should drive us as we look and pray and think and dream to do so with a bigger picture in mind. I ask you this morning, do we think this way when we think about our families? Do we think this way when we think about our church? When we pray for our family at the dinner table, are we not only praying for them, but for our great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren if the Lord provides? When we think about Christ the Redeemer, when we think about the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years, are we thinking about the next 200 if the Lord provides? Can we with enough foresight and forethought go well after I'm long gone? I want a legacy to be here in my home, in my family, in my church, in my community, in my neighborhood. One that says God is still fulfilling his promise and oh, that he would let me be a part of it. Can we, through his wisdom, have such foresight to think that way? That's what I believe Abraham does for us. He gives us perspective. He gives us the opportunity to see that way, to think that way, to consider what's now, what's next, and long after we're gone, what's to come. And what should this do in our lives? And I'll wrap it up here. She calls us to pray. It should make us a praying people. We should be a people that pray for God's blessing, for God's provision, for God's wisdom, for God's guidance in our lives, in our families' lives in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our denomination. We've been teaching a class in Sunday school, uh, Christianity in America. We wrapped it up this morning. So we looked at uh, many, many years, all the way back from the Reformation and moving forward, and we, we kind of left with that question, what's next? And, and there was really two responses. Who knows and who cares? <laughs> no idea. I can't tell you. I don't know what's next for Christianity in America. But at the end of the day, the Lord has protected, preserved, and provided for his church from the beginning, and he will continue to do so until he comes again. So in the end, who cares? I, I don't say that lightly. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about our country and our people. But I take great assurance in the fact that it's not ours, it's the Lord's. He has been caring for his people, and he will care for his people and one day Jesus is coming back and we will be with him as his people forever. We do so now spiritually, but one day soon, physically, we will be with him. Until then, let us pray. Oh, Almighty God, Lord, I often fail to appreciate when you fulfill a promise. I ask for strength and you've provided it. Thank you, Lord. May we never get to be so prideful or so arrogant that when we ask things of you, God, and you provide them, we don't stop and fall on our knees and thank you, O oh God. Lord, you called Abraham to have strength. You called Abraham to have faith. You called Abraham to trust in you, and he did. And because he did, because of his faith in you, which you gave him, you blessed him. Oh, Father, would you bless us as your people? Would you bless your church? Would you bless Christ the Redeemer? 
Would you bless our families? Would you bless our denominations? Lord, I, I can't look ahead 200 years in the future, but you can. You know what's there. So would you prepare your people for it? Give us perseverance. Lord, help us to know that we can have assurance as we faithfully seek to serve you. And we are going to fall short. We are going to miss the mark. We're going to sin. But as we repent and turn from that sin and trust in you, Lord, that in and of itself is a sign of assurance that you are not done with us. Father, I thank you for this wonderful passage. I thank you for this opportunity to hear it this morning with your people. And I pray that it would not leave here void, but that it would accomplish all that you've set out for it. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.